There's a long-running debate over fruit versus vegetables. Not that one is better than the other, not that we're supposed to eat more of one than the other, but in fact, the nature of fruit versus vegetables. Now, we're pretty clear on some of them. I mean, if you see a peach, what would you call that one? Fruit. You guys are doing really well so far. Good job. If you saw an orange, fruit. Let's keep going. How about a bell pepper? Oh, now we're divided. See, I, I told you I'm, I'm creating divisiveness and strife in the church. How many would you say vegetable? Raise your hands. How many would say fruit? Like two or three, but you guys are right. This is technically a fruit. Did you know that? How about a cucumber? All right. Technically, all right, let's do it again. Vegetable, raise the hands. How about fruit? How many of you didn't raise your hand at all? I saw some of you. I'm watching some people that just sat there. This would technically be a fruit. How about a tomato? Fruit. Wow, y'all all got that one. Very good. How about rhubarb? How many of you know what rhubarb even is? Oh, well, very good. There's a few of you. I'm glad to hear that. There's a long-running debate, and in fact, this debate goes pretty deep into our nation's history. Y'all are going to kind of find this interesting but, but peaches and pineapples and oranges and watermelon, we know that's fruit. But when we get into tomatoes and avocados and bell peppers and rhubarb and pumpkins, we struggle. Botanically speaking, I'm going to put all of your curiosities to rest right now. You ready? Your pastor's dropping knowledge this morning. Here we go. Botanically speaking, a fruit is a seed-bearing structure that develops from the ovary of a flowering plant, whereas vegetables are all other parts of the plant, such as roots, leaves, or stems. You ready? Got that? Cleared up? Very good. But this debate's even been a part of our judicial system. The United States Supreme Court, Nix versus Hedden in 1893, the court acknowledged that a tomato is a, a botanical fruit. Now, interestingly, they acknowledged that, but they ruled on it that it should be taxed as a vegetable, not as a lower-taxed fruit. Kind of interesting. But they said that they used the ordinary definitions of fruit and vegetable such that you would find in a kitchen. So they discovered one way, this is what it is, but they ruled on imported vegetables being taxed more. In 1947, our judicial system ruled in a New York customs court that rhubarb is a fruit. But that's a fruit that most of us don't even want. I mean, if you think about it, I, I'm not sure the last time you just sat down and said, I am craving rhubarb. I don't know if that's the case. Well, today, no, no pun intended with this, or, or, you know, it's kind of a, an odd thing, but I think that the fruit of the Spirit we're talking about today is really kind of like the rhubarb of spiritual fruit. We're going to talk about gentleness. And some of you look at that and you say, why is that even on the list? We've been studying spiritual fruit. We've been looking at fruitful farming. And we've talked about love and joy and peace and patience. Last week, kindness and goodness. This week, we're going to talk about the virtue of gentleness. As we think about the virtue of gentleness, that's not one of those that you even would want to label yourself with. I mean, it's not something you put on a resume. I'm, I'm gentle. I mean, most of the time, the, the employer wants the assertive, go-getting, you know, type A-driven person. What do we asso associate gentleness with? Weakness, tender, mild, soft-spoken. To me, gentleness almost sounds like a limp handshake. 
a doormat, somebody that gets pushed around and walked on. It, it sounds like somebody that just doesn't have any real gumption about themselves. Does, does that fit anybody else here, or am I just talking to myself this morning? Somebody, I guess, wow. <laughs> Choir, help me out. Does, does gentleness really often sound like weakness to you? Just the word. Think about that with us as we think about it. What comes to mind when you think of gentleness? It's not the guy that gets the job. It's not the, the, the quarterback or the athlete that leads his team aggressively to win the big game. It, it, again, it doesn't sound like even a moniker that you would want to put on yourself, and yet it's here. And in fact, it's something so important for us to see as we look at it because we associate it with weakness, and we want strength. We, we think success is measured by, uh, by our strength, not our gentleness, not weakness or meekness. And yet in Galatians 5, where we've been looking, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes that gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Scripture over and over again uses this word or similar words, gentleness or meekness, to describe a follower of Jesus Christ. So what a dilemma. What a dilemma. Here is this idea that it seems like it's calling for weakness, and yet, the Bible tells us this is what somebody who is filled with the Holy Spirit looks like, gentle. So this morning, I want to clarify some things. I want us to look together at this passage of Scripture and some parallel passages and think about gentleness in the greater context of the Christian life. And as we do that, really what we're going to do is push the reset button in our minds so that hopefully we dissociate weakness and fear and timidity from meekness or from gentleness. I got to thinking about this in all of my years of pastoral ministry. There have only been three sermons that I can recall that I preached on one word. I preached on redemption, I preached on grace, and I preached on heaven. Well, this morning I'm preaching on one word from Scripture. We're talking about gentleness. And I would say it this way, each of the fruits of the Spirit is a fountain of blessing to you and to other people, and we should strive to walk in step with the Spirit and long for all of the fruit that God wants for us. If this is on the list, then we better learn what it means, ask ourselves, what is it that Jesus is calling us to? What is it that He desires for us? And then ask the question, how do we apply this gentleness to our life? How is it fleshed out in my daily relationships? So that's the journey we're going to take this morning. Let's read together our statement of affirmation, and then we'll turn to Galatians chapter 5. Our statement of affirmation is very simply this. I am thoughtful, considerate, and calm in dealing with others. Some of you struggled to have those words cross your lips because you said, that is not me. Let's say them again. I am thoughtful, considerate, and calm when dealing with others. So let's pray. Let's ask God's blessing upon our time this morning. Let's focus together on this fruit of the spirit of gentleness. And let's learn together what Jesus would have for us to learn. Father, thank you for the privilege of teaching us that your spirit changes us. Thank you for the great privilege of your word that inspires us to live our lives in step with the spirit of God. And I pray, God, for the next few moments that we would spend time just in your presence, in your word, under the illumination of the Holy Spirit, gleaning truth that would transform us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
I want to look at two different verses, if we can, or two different sections. Turn with me first in Galatians 5 to verses 19 and 20. As we look at verse 19, it says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy. Look at this one, outbursts of anger. That really is going to be the, the phrase that will set aside over and against gentleness. Disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now, I want to I focus on this for just a moment. What is gentleness not? I put that in your notes that way negatively. We want to dispel some of the myths. And so I want us to look at this. Number one, gentleness does not equal weakness. We need to establish that. Gentleness does not equal weakness. When we talk about biblically uh, being gentle, it's not about weakness in your life. Sometimes we find ourselves connecting gentleness to genetics. And here's what I want you to see. Gentleness is not a personality trait. It's a spiritual fruit. And, and I want us to be able to look at this so that you understand that the, the practice of gentleness is actually one of the toughest things that humans are called to experience. And Jesus would tell us through this passage that it's only possible to be biblically gentle through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, think about this for a moment. Let me give you two illustrations. Imagine someone in your life. Don't point at them if they're here. Hot-headed, short-tempered, angry, selfish, driven, pushy. Maybe it's somebody that you work with. I mean, everybody around them knows that there's going to be a struggle to be around them because they're just so short-fused, and you never know what's going to light that fuse, and they're continually bursting out in anger. They're always demanding their way. As we think about that person, as we think about them, sometimes we dismiss their activity, and we say, well, they're just born that way. They just look that way. But the reality is this. As we connect gentleness to genetics, we're denying the power of the Holy Spirit to change someone. If we say they're just like that, then we're simply saying they're out of control and there's no change or no chance for change. Here's the reality. It's more natural not to be gentle. I'll agree with that. It may, be, it may feel more natural for you and me to be critical instead of encouraging. But the Bible says, as we've just read, this is your natural self, your sinful self. And the Bible says you need to pull those weeds. The Bible said don't practice those things. The Bible says move away from the practices of the sinful life so that you will not gratify them. Walk in step with the Spirit. And as we excuse that behavior and say, well, that's just them, that's who they are and how they are. But if the Spirit of God is injected into that person's life, we realize that the fruit of gentleness is cultivated by abiding in His Spirit. And that personality type, that trait can be changed by the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what I'm telling you. I've said all of that to say, if gentleness 
in fact, is a fruit of the Spirit, it can grow. You can grow to become more gentle. So that person that you know that you have chalked off as harsh, you've chalked off as just being abrasive, if they are under the control of the Spirit of God, their life can be changed. If you didn't think of someone else, maybe somebody else is thinking of you, and you need to apply this personally. Maybe you've just chalked it off. Well, I just have a, a, a quick temper. Maybe, just maybe, you need to surrender that to the power of the Holy Spirit and recognize that it's not power or might to blow off an out, outburst of anger, but it's a weakness. Let me give you a second analogy. Picture in your mind, and by the way, that first one's a pretty common experience. We know people all around us like that. In our day and age, it's becoming almost a right to be able to just spew out what we feel is our right. Let me give you a second analogy, though. Imagine, if you will, a horse that's not yet been broken. It's wild. It bucks, and it kicks, and it, it, it is very skittish. It runs from people. People approach it, and it just bolts away. It's not yet been touched. It's not accustomed to the hand of man, an owner, or a trainer, and it's just wild. You, you look at that person or that horse and you realize maybe something can change. And you and I know that something can change because we've seen it change in a horse. Well, let's continue, if we will, and, and recognize this. If this is a fruit that's cultivated by the Spirit, then God can shape our hearts in a unique way. Gentleness here in Galatians 5 is set against outburst of anger. Or some translations might say fits of rage or wrath. So God clearly doesn't want that in your life, and you can grow in gentleness. Number two, I want you to see this. Gentleness, I said, doesn't equal weakness. But gentleness, what is it? It's strength or power under control. It's strength or power under control. Now, this brings a whole different set of lenses to the problem. And I, I ran across an amazing book. Matthew Henry, who was a commentator of another generation, some of you perhaps have read his Bible commentaries, wrote in a, a remarkable book, and his book was called The Quest for Meekness and Quietness of Spirit. And he dealt with both of these issues of strength or power. I want us to go to the next one to make sure. I don't want you just to write in the word strength. I want you to circle the word power. Because both of those are significant to think about all of the energy of our life, our own strength, but even the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, when it is displayed, it's displayed with gentleness. And we don't associate power and gentleness. We think of mild, tender, docile. But the reality is that power that is harnessed by the Holy Spirit's control is manifest through our lives with gentleness. And some of the most powerful men that I've ever seen were soft-spoken and quiet, and yet when they spoke, they had something to say. When they spoke, people listened because they knew that they would hear from the power of the Spirit of God. T.W. Hunt is one of those men that, that was like that. Dr. Hunt just had this mild and, and quiet spirit, and yet he spoke with authority on the Word of God. And as I listened to him, I recognized that the power of the Holy Spirit was flowing through the things that he said. Now, as we think about this, I want to go to Matthew Henry, and I want to teach you something unique and different this morning. Gentleness or meekness in his book that was called, let me give you the title again. 
the quest for meekness and quietness of spirit. Here's what he wrote. He talks about the Latin rendering of this word gentleness. You say, I didn't know we are going to get a Latin lesson this morning. The word is mansutos. Everybody say mansutos. Everybody say mansutos. Now your pastor has taught you the difference between vegetables botanically and fruit, and he's teaching you Latin. I mean, this is worth the price of admission this morning. Amen, folks. But let's look at this word for a second. I love it. Man, you, M-A-N-U. Go to the next slide, if you will. Man, you is like the word manuscript or manual. You know what it has to do with? The hands. We write a manuscript with our hands. We work manually with our hands. And sutos means the word or, or references used to. I love this. I love this picture. This is a set of reins and a bridle and a bit. Imagine that wild horse that we just talked about. He's running wild away from the hand of anyone. He's not used to the hand of man. He's skittish and skirmish and he bucks and he kicks and he runs. That's the condition of the human heart toward God. So many people are not used to the hand of God. Oh, but what happens in that horse's life when that horse becomes used to the hand, when he becomes gentle? There's a poise, a grace, a dignity, a calmness. I've told you this before. If you think about a horse that's out there on the plains of Montana running through the fields around the mountains and you think that horse is free. That horse is not free. It's just wild. You see, we are free in Christ because we are under his protective hand. When that horse is broken of its wildness, it now has protection, provision, and purpose. What do I mean by that? That horse running out on the, on the wild of the mountains has to fend for itself for food. But when he's brought into a stable, he's given oats and hay and water. He's given provision. And he's given protection. He's brought out of the shelter of the, or into the shelter and out of the cold. And he has purpose. Have you ever seen a horse that's working? That, that's working whether it's mending fences or it's roping calves or it's doing some other job of, of, of like a cutting horse. It's a magnificent thing to see them work under the submitted hand of one who is an authority. The reins of that horse guided gently by the hand of the master. Think about our first illustration, that hot-headed man. He's not a happy man. His, man is his life is frustrated, he, and it spills into other relationships. That hot-headed, hot-tempered person is usually just waiting for something or someone to set him off. Would you agree with that? Do you know that guy? Again, don't point at him, but it's a very real picture. There are people all around us who are not controlled by the Spirit of God, who have not become used to or accustomed to the hand of God. They've not surrendered in any way, and their life is empty and miserable. And yet, under the hand of God, the Bible tells us that gentleness enters into the heart of that one who is filled with the Spirit. Really, I could say it this way, and we'll put it on the screen, gentleness. Gentleness is turning the reins of your anger and aggravation over to the Holy Spirit. That's by Kyle Eidelman, a pastor up in Kentucky. I thought that was beautiful. He, he said this not long before a, a devotion for the, the Kentucky Derby there in Louisville. Some of you are holding on to the reins of your own heart, your own life. 
and you're kicking against God. There's no gentleness in your life. There's no sense of peace in your life. But today, submit yourself to the mighty hand of God and he will save you. He will direct your life. He'll give you provision and protection and purpose. You see, I love that word mansutos because when we become mansutos, when we become gentle, that's when we're displaying power under control. I want us to see that, church. I don't want you to miss that picture at all. Our fallen human nature is like a wild animal. Now, you say, Scott, this is nice that you're, you're telling these stories, but, but are they all just apart from the Bible and kind of a construct of your own doctrine? No. You don't have to turn there, but if we were to look together in Jeremiah 2, God's people have gone astray, and you know what God said about his own people? He said, you're acting like wild donkeys. It's in Scripture. Look it up. So we're not jumping too far from a, a donkey analogy to a horse analogy to say our fallen nature kicks against the authority of God and says, I want to do my own thing. And we lack peace, purpose, and provision. Well, as we find ourselves under the hands of God, the, the power is this, that gentleness is the means by which God's going to tame the distempers of man and bring the soul to hand to submit the soul to management. Don't miss this, church. Listen, gentleness is an amazing picture of the Spirit of God subduing your assertive self, calming the passions of your life, managing the impulses of your heart, bringing order out of chaos. Like a bit and a bridle, He directs and He guides. As we become used to the hand of God, we stop resisting it. We understand that he loves us and he has a plan for us. That short-tempered man, that horse that's running wild. When Jesus enters the picture of that man's heart or when a master comes into the world of that horse, we see a work of grace, even the grace of gentleness. Now, I want you to see something very quickly, church, before we moved into our points. You say, he hasn't even gotten to the points of his sermon. You're right. I want to set the stage and here's the focus. Jesus is calling us to something incredibly beautiful. Gentleness is a beautiful thing, and you will never seek it or desire it unless you see the beauty and the benefit of gentleness in your own life. As we think about that, becoming calm and peaceful in the midst of a hot-tempered atmosphere, emitting a soothing effect on others, you can grow in it and you can gain control of your anger. And I just have to be honest, as I prepared this message, I had to point fingers back at myself. I'm never pointing fingers at our church without many more coming back at me because I find myself so impatient at times and so frustrated at times and so easily set off. But the reality is when the Spirit of God has the reins of my heart, things that might upset Scott and his natural self simply don't bother me because I have a greater perspective. And I need to submit myself daily to him. It can help you with peace and joy. Listen to this. Thomas Watson wrote about gentleness. By nature, the heart is like a troubled sea, casting forth the foam of anger and wrath, Meekness or gentleness calms the passions and it sits as a moderator in the soul and it quietly gives check to its distempered motions. Church, hear this and I want you to do something for me. On the top of your notes somewhere, I want you to write one word. You ready? Submission. Submission. 
S-U-B mission. Got it? Or sub M-I-S-S-I-O-N. All right, submission. And just look at the construct of that word. Lord, when I submit to you, I take the mission of my life and place it under your mission. You are Lord and I give you everything. You are Lord and you are in control. You are Lord and you guide. I'm turning the reins of my aggravation, my anger over to the Holy Spirit. But I'm turning over all the reins of all of my life. I had a man not too long ago tell me, I like going to church. I like hearing good gospel music, but I'm not giving up my beer. Okay. I had another man tell me a very similar thing about a habit that he had in his life. And I'm not picking on those habits. I'm picking on the heart of submission. Because there are a whole lot of people that sit in this church and say, I like to come to church, but I'm not submitting my time to serve. I'm not submitting my money. I'm not submitting. And the bottom line is we are to submit ourselves fully to God. That's what it means to cast your cares on him. That's what it ultimately means to be saved. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When we give ourselves wholly to God, recognizing we're spiritually bankrupt, then he gives us his life. You and I this morning need to evaluate in our hearts what areas of our life am I still holding on to the reins over? Three quick thoughts, and we'll be finished. Number one, gentleness means that the Holy Spirit controls the words that we speak. The Holy Spirit controls the words that we speak. Charles Spurgeon took this passage of Scripture and the word meekness, and he, he used five words to describe it. Humble, meek, patient, forgiving, contented. That sounds like the kind of life that I want to live. Humble and contented, patient, peaceful. When the Holy Spirit begins to control the words that we speak, I don't react with my brain not engaged. I don't engage my mouth before my brain is engaged because I put a filter over my mouth and stop myself. And the beauty is there's a picture in 2 Corinthians. It's speaking of spiritual things in, in uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 2.13. Regarding spiritual matters, we speak words taught to us by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit guides your very conversations. Some of us are so loose-tongued or loose with the keys on our keyboard that we'll sit behind a keyboard with courage and write all kinds of things. I saw it this week. People not engaging their minds and their hearts, not submitting to the mind of Christ and just writing and saying whatever they wanted to out of anger and frustration because of the, the violence in our nation. When you surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit, He will control the words you speak. Number two, he'll control the way you see. Illustratively, we could use the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8 and the gentleness of Jesus. He could have by the law judged her, but he showed instead grace to her, extended grace, and even called those Pharisees to consider their own sin. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. You see, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and the fruit of gentleness is growing in our hearts and our lives, we'll see things differently. We'll see the world around us differently. 
You'll look at that neighbor that, that doesn't go to church or doesn't in, in any way desire God, and you'll begin to not see them with anger or as an enemy, but you'll see them with a great desire to reach them, a great desire to, to love them, because we see through the eyes of Jesus. And church, I can't let it go. That includes people of other religions, even religions that we might fear or desire to hate. But we have to be wise as we walk in this world because this world is not our home. We're just passing through, citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And when you and I are submitted to the Holy Spirit, He'll guard and watch and guide the words that we say and the way that we see. And ultimately, number three, He controls the response that we offer. And I'll close with this verse. 1 Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord or set aside Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Why would I finish there? I believe the critical need of this hour, church family, is that we begin proclaiming the gospel like never before. We don't do it with arrogance. We don't tell people that they're apart from Christ going to hell with a gleam in our eye. We do it with tears in our eyes and calluses upon our knees as we cry out to the Lord and ask Him to save our lost neighbor, ask Him to save our lost family members, ask Him to save those who are enacting all kinds of violence and hatred in the streets. I want this to be a spirit-filled, spirit-controlled church. And that happens when you and I individually submit ourselves to the Word of God, to the will of God, and even to one another, the people of God, in accountable relationships. My desire as your pastor is to lead us forward in that direction, turning the reins of our anger and aggravation over to the Holy Spirit. And acting calmly in our relationships with others. Appropriately letting the Spirit of God lead us. Now, very simply, as we come to a time of invitation, maybe you've been kicking against God and you're not used to the hand of God. You've said, I don't need God. Maybe today's the day you need to just surrender yourself and be saved. Maybe today is the day that you need to unite with this church. I believe God is just bringing people to our church. Every single week we've met new people, and I believe many of you are working through that decision of uniting with this fellowship and saying, this is the place where I want to plant my life and my faith and serve the Lord. And I pray that this morning you would do so. Members of the staff will be here at the front. If you need to be saved, come. If you need to join this church, come. If you need to pray, the altar is open. Let God have his way in your heart and your life this morning. Let's stand as we sing.
Would everyone be seated for just a moment? You want to do it? Go ahead. I'll just receive them if you want to call them out.